Nigel, you give me the count in when you're ready to roll. Thumbs up, then the count. Douglas, Douglas Day. Book smart with Douglas Day. Book smart, book smart, book smart, book smart with Douglas Day. Been some time, Douglas, but you're back from Ullapool. Da 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 da. From Ullapool, where you retreated, forced retreat. The industry had cut your legs out from under you, could no longer run with the wolves. You retreated to to Ullapool and stared out at the sea, ingested the fresh, bright, clean Scots air. I hope Nigel will be. Greetings, people. Douglas Day with Book Smart, the program that takes deeper looks at books. Specifically, we will be interviewing an author, Christopher Ross, who's written a book called Hard Water. The last time I saw Mr. Ross, correct me if I'm wrong, was in Central Park, where we engaged in a discussion, didn't we, Mr. Ross? Yep. About your first book, Resucito. Resucito, which means, as you told me, he is Risen, a book about, well, I'll let you put your plug in, Mr. Ross. Yeah, Resucito was about George Washington and his leadership crisis during the Winter of Valley Forge. Mm. And since then, you have been writing. Yep. And the latest, as I said, is Hard Water. Where came from the name? I was studying over in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. And I was at the Poetry Center, and there was a map on the wall, and it had all the the, uh, cities of Scotland, but the names were in Gaelic. And then underneath the Gaelic name was the translation of that particular phrase. So, since I was in Edinburgh, I looked at the one for Edinburgh, and the translation of the Gaelic for Edinburgh is hard water. That just seemed to fit perfectly. Hmm. Well... Mr. Ross is going to read his next book, Hard Water. Could you tell us briefly what inspired this novel? Yeah, I was watching Ken Burns, I believe it was a Ken Burns special, on the Civil War, and he was talking about how there were no cemeteries up until after Gettysburg. This was also coincided with this spiritualist movement in the United States, which one of its premises was that one should die a good death. And part of that good death connected to the idea that when you died, you would be surrounded by family and you would be given a very nice funeral and oftentimes your body would be left out for a viewing and spiritually you were delivered by your family into the next realm. So I started thinking about this in terms of the Civil War as I was watching this program. And, um, but up until then, a lot of these soldiers were buried, buried anonymously and in, in sometimes in mass graves as well. There may be a marking or may have been markings, but very rarely was there the name of the soldier. So in essence, 
this would be somewhat anonymous. So that got me to thinking about um, what it would be like for those soldiers who were in the war and trying to live, but knowing that death was looming. And how would that square with the idea of the good death and spiritualism? Good. So, Mr. Ross, shall we begin? Sure. I see you start with an epigraph by Archibald MacLeish called An Eternity. Yeah, I, I really like that poem. It just seems to... It seems to fit. Would you mind if good old Douglas Day starts us off with the epigraph, Mr. Ross? Not at all, Douglas. An Eternity. There is no dusk to be. There is no dawn that was, only there's now and now, and the wind in the grass. Days I remember of new in my heart are now days that I dream will bloom, white, peach, bough, dying shall never be, now in the windy grass, now under shooken leaves, death never was. Nicely read, Douglas. Well, thank you, Mr. Ross. It, it, it really is a beautiful poem, An Eternity by Archibald MacLeish, one of the modernist poets, American, I believe is... 1892 to 1982. I'm looking at the poem, Mr. Ross, and noticing that the word now is used one, two, three, four, five, five times in a poem that spans 12 lines. A beautiful poem to start your book off with. Death never was, shooken leaves, days that I dream will bloom, white peach bough. Well, just like our earlier conversation about death and the good death, and this idea that um, I love the idea of dying shall never be, and when you apply that to these soldiers, as we talked about earlier, where death is is looming that this idea of focusing on the now, only there's now and now and the wind and the grass. So that all appealed to me, but nicely read, Douglas. Thank you, Mr. Rawls. Now, when you're ready, you can get us started with the prologue. Welcome. James Matthew Seat here, older brother of our author, Arthur Eugene Seat. Most folks call me Jed. This is not my story, but I am a part of it. Arthur could not fit me in elsewhere, so here I am. And I'm fine with that because it's his book and scribbling it could not have been easy. Especially when he's attempting to tackle life, death, and the in-between. But Arthur never was afraid of nothing. We were playing pickup football on that flat stretch of ground behind the barn. Arthur was eight going on nine. We kicked off on that stocky, thick-thighed, speedy farmhand of a bastard cut straight up the middle. Arthur was all that stood between that galloping galoot in the end zone. 
That big bastard slapped a shit-eating grin on his face and streaked straight at my little brother, savoring the certainty of plowing him under. A millisecond before the bastard was to obliterate him, Arthur dove headfirst at the unsuspecting bastard's ankles and upended him in a cloud of bursting dust. Crash to hard ground knocked the breath out of the gasping fool. That's my little brother, I crowed. Years later, I met my gal Daphne and joined her clan across the river in Louisville. When the War of the Rebellion commenced, I kissed my brood goodbye and joined the rebel ranks. Over the course of those years, I killed me a good many Yanks. Saved my own skin, I suppose, through the grace of God and too many interpositions of providence to mention. But war is a terrible thing. Takes no prisoners one way or another. Captures and kills your mind, body, and soul. The things you see, outrageous nightmares and daymares, hound a man mercilessly. Time is and time isn't. Becomes instead one steady dream of almost living, almost dying, both at the same time. Used to go to this holler not too far out of Louisville. Daphne and our two kids with us, sporting their mother's fire red hair. Set ourselves down on our chicken feed bag quilt and listen to this feller jaw. Fire and brimstone, fire and brimstone. Take heed, people. Never forget how close we are to everlasting oblivion. Could happen to any one of us. Quickly, like that. So, well, when I read of my little brother's demise in the war bulletin, I remembered that preacher snapping his fingers like that. What can I say? My head still rings with a bee-loud buzz. But enough of me. This here is Arthur's story, so I'll pass the reins on over to him. Good luck telling your tale, little brother. We're all proud of how you tried. And when you left, we cried, cried, cried. Thank you, Christopher Ross, for delivering the prologue of your novel, Hard Water. Next episode, Mr. Ross will read chapters one and two. Until then, we ponder the in-between of life and death. This has been Douglas Day with Book Smart Peace. Right. Oh. You did your best, Douglas. We'll hope that Nigel was on top of things. You seem to have butterflies, butterflies in your belly, making a lot of undue clatter. Maybe I can get some introductory music for next show. Saxophone. D. A. B. C. D. A. B. C. D. A. B. C.